Hello and welcome to the 379th episode of the Crate and Crowbar, a podcast about PC gaming. On the night that we're recording this, it's uh, Friday the 3rd of September. Uh, I'm Alex Wiltshire and tonight I'm joined by Tom Senior. Hello. And Graham Smith. Hello. On this very fine evening. It's been a warm evening with actual sun and um, I feel different. I feel... I feel like summer hasn't left us yet, which is, which is good because the kids are going back next week as well. So that's an extra bonus. Sweet. I feel drained. Like the sun is is wrong for me. I'm becoming increasingly vampiric. <laughs> so if you, do, the unending gloom has been good. Yeah, it's been lovely. Restorative. <laughs> A nice restorative gloom. Mm, I got I got burned by the sun like two weeks ago and I've just reached the stage where all their skin is starting to peel from my arms. <laughs> if you want a visual of what I look like right now, it's just... Great tattered kind of... <laughs> Do you think that um, Miyazaki could put you as a boss in um, in, <laughs> in, a, in, in Elden Ring with sort of great tatters of skin sort of flapping around your um, your arms? Uh, see, I like that because I know he would render me with the dignity that I deserve. Yeah. <laughs> Presumably like a massive health bar as well. <laughs> Whenever I, yeah, like Graham, you, you meet him, you just think he's got a massive health bar. I <laughs> <Yeah>. think <laughs> that about Graham. <laughs> I, um, I came across something uh, disconcerting and weird and I don't understand it on any level the other day or today, in fact. Was it TikTok? <laughs> worse than TikTok, oh, worse no. than TikTok, but it's definitely in the, the the ballpark of kind of horrible tech things. Um, I, I don't really want to kind of dwell on what it's all about, particularly, which is NFTs, for which I, I I'm sorry for even bringing up, but um, but just what one particular project thing that exists, which I just I just don't, and uh, it does relate to games. Um, uh, the one of the co-founders of um, Vine, uh, this guy, uh, this guy called um, um, I've lost his name now. Do you know what I've lost his name? Uh, Jeremy Tom... Vine. <laughs> non fungible <laughs> yeah, called Tom. Vine. It was just named after the guy. Uh, Dom Dom Hoffman. Hey, Dom Hoffman. Um, uh, Who was that? He's a he's a tech man. Um, he done he done Vine, uh, and then has since kind of like all these techie people got all excited about nfts he um early this year he created a thing called blitmap which uh is just fucking shit looking bits of pixel art which he made a small number of um released as nfts and they're all they were snapped up within minutes of being released and now worth tens of thousands of dollars each for no fucking reason um now though uh this person has um has released uh, basically loot, like uh, randomized uh, RPG-style loot, like a gold ring, uh, necklace of enlightenment, studded leather for gloves, these kinds of things, death root, ornate greaves of skill. Um, uh, as NFTs in this program, again, limited number of them. I can't remember how many of them are. Oh, eight, so okay, so eight, there are 8,000 bags of loot. So... So in the bag of loot, you'll get a number of different items in it, all randomized, right? Um, and sold them in a, as, as NFTs. And uh, they have no function at all. They are just text. 
and collections of texts, I suppose you'd call them, uh, themed as RPG stuff. Um, and they're being exchanged and, uh, you know, dealt on the market and kind of explored, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. Again, uh, these meaningless bits of text, which have no function. Um, and, uh, and which have the kind of the trousers of, of games, but don't have any relationship in any meaningful way with games. Um, people are inventing little stories around this stuff. So, like, there are bits of the internet which I haven't really explored. And I, I only heard about it today and I haven't really had a chance to kind of explore it properly. But people are coming up with kind of narrative RPG scenarios in which this stuff that they've paid lots of made up well, all money's made up, but particularly made up kind of internet money on um, to buy. And I don't, I, I mean, I get it and I don't get it. I mean, I get that uh, fine art, like, you know, a Renaissance picture has no intrinsic worth, you know, kind of, and it's, you know, it's worth is a story we all tell amongst ourselves. And that's precisely what's happening with uh, you getting something called Grim Shout, grave wand of skill plus one but at the same time what the fuck look it's about time that larp has got the premium gear that they deserve <laughs> i think that's the take isn't it and uh tech I, LARPers. i'm happy but i'm happy for <laughs> the tech larpers who are the only winners here i think uh yeah it's, it's kind of funny. libertarian larpers of... libertarian larpers <laughs> uh <laughs> yeah no, you don't need a license to LARP here. Anyone can just go for it. One day, 25, 30, maybe 40 years from now, you're going to be retired and taking a once-in-a-lifetime trip across America or Russia or something on a train or a cruise, and you're going to be sat at a table and you're going to get talking to a guy and he's going to start telling you about how he retired young and you're going to, you're going to ask how he made his money and he's going to say that he bought a plus two... Trousers <laughs> of running, uh, and it appreciated appreciated in value to such a degree that he sold it for millions, and that was it. And and someone will there'll be an abandoned house, and someone will go in there, and they'll find a chest deep in the basement behind a, a fake wall, and they'll open up the chest. And it'll be a big creaky noise, and it will be glowing inside for some reason. And there's yeah, a plus one chain of cool in there, and. <laughs> That person just becomes an instant millionaire, and this this is the loot that the world deserves. This is the, the loot this is what, this really is what we deserve right now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, yeah, loot doesn't actually do anything, but has some sort of bizarre sense of monetary value attached to it. What, the what um, the owners have created guilds based on the items they found in their bags. Like so, basically, it's like loot crates. Mm. It really like it, it ties into so many things. That, that's, yeah. Um, so there, there's guilds based on on uh, divine robes, and there are only 396 divine robes uh, in this pool of stuff. Uh, this group have set up their own community with a storefront for purchasing divine robe uh, divine robes. The cheapest price they've gone for is one hundred and sixty nine thousand dollars one hundred and forty two. That is. I mean, it hurts. Well, it hurts. It really does. It kind of emotionally hurts. <laughs> Even though I think it's quite, I do think it's quite funny. Um, the extent to which people could band together and just sort of sell stuff to idiots. Um, but at the same time, yeah, I, I feel as though uh, 
there's some sort of these things are uh, NFTs things like that are some sort of massive joke at capitalism's expense. <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah. that that it does like part of the fun, part of the value is in undermining the sense of value in the, uh, our monetary system. And yeah. I could sort of I can sort of enjoy it as a spectator sport from afar on that level. And I do want a plus one robe <laughs> to wear only at home when it's hot. <laughs> <laughs> plus one of what though like I don't know. Plus, plus one, one warmth it's <laughs> one cool plus one cool <laughs> i think um I, I i enjoyed that bit of news there but i think it's uh it is indicative of the state state of gaming news <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's what we've uh chosen to talk about this week unless there's anything else that has popped up i mean gamescom happened right recently gamescom did happen um i i uh having brought up elden ring earlier on are did, they showed off some Elden Ring, but I didn't even, I haven't even seen the Elden Ring stuff. I've been, so just as a, a disclaimer, and I've been boring, um, uh, Tom and Graham about this already, but, uh, every detail of, uh, my recent life, but we got a puppy mm. and, um, <laughs> and the puppy has rendered me unable to play any games or read about games or watch games because the puppy keeps trying to tear up our rug and poo and we in places where you come across it a little bit later um just when you didn't expect it so um, i'm a little bit ignorant but i'm aware that there was some elden ring i didn't see any elden ring i was paying attention as well during gamescom i don't have a puppy see there you go i've just been and... i dreamt it because i'm having to get up very early in the morning <laughs> i just dreamt, I dreamt I'm, I'm, it. I'm okay with the rest of this podcast just being talking about your puppy i'm not bored <laughs> by the details <laughs> it's true we'll put some pictures up on the show notes but his name is roddy He's working retriever, and he's a good boy. He is a good boy. He's lovely. He's my little friend. No, you had uh, another observation, not about NFTs, but about uh, Japanese games, didn't you? I did. Yeah, I was very interested to see. I, I, I'd actually flagged this to talk about a couple of weeks ago, but um, I was really delighted to see that Moon Remix RPG Adventure uh, is slated to come out on Steam at some point in the near future. And um, it came out on Switch in 2019. Um, and um, uh, and the reason I'm pleased about it is that um, it's a really sweet, interesting game uh, that um, came out on PlayStation in um, 97. And um, uh, it's just a uh, an odd game that sort of mucks around with conventions of of what games are you know before a lot of other games started to do that so this is it's an rpg where um you play um a sort of like a, a, a side character um in 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 a in a proper rpg in which um the other you know player characters have sort of come through the world and um and you're kind of existing in this sort of another game's world i suppose you'd call it and um, the things that you do in your world is kind of try to spread love, um, which is sort of, for the time, really kind of went against all of the, the the received kind of wisdom of what games should be, because games were at that point and always had been and would continue to be all about power fantasies and always kind of increasing the numbers and things. And um, the maker of this game, um, uh, uh, Yoshihiro Kimura, um, he was the writer and creative director. Uh, he um, kind of was a sort of misfit of at Square um, at the time. I think he worked on, God, I can't remember actually, 
one of the Final Fantasies, I think. Mario, mm. he worked on Mario RPG, I think. Yeah, he might well have And yeah. maybe Saga? Maybe this. I think that's it, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, he kind of always described himself as a misfit of that company because his, all his ideas uh, didn't really fit in with these sort of power fantasy kind of very sort of formulaic stories. Um, beloved, of course, and I think he respected that, but he always knew it was sort of like a bit of a sort of screw. Anyway, he, he formed his own company called Love to Lick, um, which was a sort of like made a series of sort of weird kind of off kilter games that kind of, that, that didn't really, you know, that, that really reflected that outlook. And, um, Moon didn't do very well when it came out, you know, on PlayStation because no one was looking for for something that would be a commentary on the games they loved at that point. Um, but and yet it's managed to remain and like seeing coming out on Steam is just a nice thing. It's not like it's not a particularly great game, like as in in terms of kind of pulling you through and being remarkable. But it's it it's it's atmosphere and its message and all those sort of things is a, a really really really. A treasure, I feel. Toby Fox, the creator of Undertale, cited Moon as one of his inspirations in creating Undertale. Okay. And it's it's got a similar underlying premise. You know, in, in Moon, you're, um, as Alex says, you're in a world where the hero has come through and ransacked everybody's cupboards and taken all their valuables and killed a bunch of innocent monsters. And you're there to, you, you grow in power by befriending the monsters. And basically Toby Fox never played Moon because it never got an English translation, but he read a description of it somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it is like the underlying premise of oh, make friends with the monsters rather than killing them yeah. is, you know, it's very similar to Undertale. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and he, um, uh, Kimura continues to make games. He run, runs a studio called Onion Games, um, which, uh, oh, the name of which, there was... Oh. Million Onion Hotel? Yeah, Million Onion and Hotel. And did he do Dandy Dungeon? Yeah, Dandy Dungeon, that's the one I was thinking yeah. of, where you play this sort of middle-aged kind of um, game developer kind of coding in his room, doing these kind of sort of little kind of dungeon code, like puzzle dungeon things, like one single screen sort of things it's a good it's a fun game it's a good game uh but yeah really imaginative sort of they're always thinking about the context of games you know how are these things made you know what are their messages what why why you know what is people's relationships with them it's just yeah i i like that i like that but that made me think oh there, there are actually like a load of uh japanese remake games coming out um and a general sense that sort of you know there's um bravely default um, Flying Fairy hmm. uh, coming out on Steam shortly as well, um, which is a more recent Square um, but quite traditional RPG. Uh, that's been nice to see. And then a bunch of others. Monster Hunter Stories 2, which, you know, which always felt like a sort of very much a console game, but yeah, put it up on Steam. Why not? Uh, so I noticed this because Valve have started releasing details of Steam's top sellers. They like they build like a little microsite for it for every month. And so in July's top twenty, something like half the games on there are Japanese games. And some of them are new. So like some Samurai Warriors five is on there and Monster Hunter Stories Two, Wings of Ruin is on there. Those are both new games. But then all three of the Final Fantasy Pixel Perfect remakes are on there. So mm-hmm. Final Fantasy 1, 2, and 3. 
Swords of Legends Online, an MMORPG. Um, there were a bunch of others as well. I'm flicking through the list. East 9, Monstrum Nox, which came to console a couple of years ago, but just came to PC. It's mm. on the list. Um, the Great Ace Attorney Chronicles, the trilogy, which finally got an English translation and released on PC at the same time as, as on Switch. Like, it's, um, it's changed days from 10 years ago, say, when game developers and the internet have tedious conversations about whether Japanese game development was dying. Um, there are both a, a ton of new games and a ton of old games and everything is coming to PC now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, a lot of it is remakes, but like that's an easy comment to make about it. But at the same time, if you look at a lot of, I mean, a lot of, a lot of games full stop are now remakes. So I don't think there's any particular pattern there to be seen. I think, yeah, it's um, they're kind of the least egregious remakes to me. Like it's not it's making like, stuff available which wasn't previously yeah. available, as opposed to something that is all available already. Yeah, like th- three new Ace Attorney games translated into English. It's like cool. That may they may as well just be three new games <laughs> to the vast majority of people that are going to play it. They couldn't have played them before, and now they can. Yeah, yeah. so that's pretty brilliant. Did you, uh, Alex, did you mention that Moon was on Switch? I believe so. Yes. Came awesome. to Switch, I think 2019 in Japan and then maybe last year. And the translation actually is by Tim Rogers, yes. games journalist. Yeah. Um, oh, cool. and, and game developer as well. He's worked for Japanese studios and stuff. He was a big fan. And so he did the translation, which is pretty neat. That's awesome. Check that out. What you been playing, Tom? I've been playing that Psychonauts 2. Have you indeed? This is the yeah. game I want to play as soon as the dog lets me. <laughs> I feel like um, the dog could be in that game. Like, <laughs> the the, the game has the kind of puppy-like enthusiasm that I think, uh, I think it would suit. Uh, yeah, so this is a sequel to, I guess it's sort of a bit of a, a beloved cult artifact, really, the original Psychonauts, which is from... Uh, Tim Schafer and Double Fine, and uh, it was a platforming game where you played a guy called Rasputin, who joins uh, a kind of school high school for summer camp, basically for kids with psychic talents, uh, run by the Psychonauts themselves, who are kind of elite operatives who run psychic raids on people's brains to fix them. <laughs> <laughs> Which, uh, when you lay it out, is a kind of a problematic premise <laughs> in some ways. Uh, which is something that the, the the sequel has kind of tried to address a little bit. So uh, this is again another uh, it's another platforming game, um, but it has all of the power of uh, basically games can look like Pixar movies now, uh, just in motion and from moment to moment in terms of just character design, people you're talking to when you're running around, the sheer amount of motion, the kind of vibrant excitement that these games can put on screen in front of you. Uh, is equivalent to just the, the, the joy you'd experience watching a Pixar film. And that's kind of what Psychonauts 2 does best for me. So the original game, it's fair to say, was pretty maligned for being pretty mediocre, at points pretty terrible platformer. Uh, you kind of run around punching stuff, but a lot of the game is very jumping between very slippery platforms uh, in a kind of imprecise jumping model. And uh, it had some famous sections or infamous sections, I should say, like the meat circus, which is a circus made of slabs of meat, and you'd fall off it all the time and have to restart, and it was extremely irritating. Uh, the good news is that Psychonauts 2 is much, 
much more fun in that respect. It's just uh, the controls are much better. It's much more tightly checkpointed, and the platforming mostly serves to get you from one glorious kind of tableau to the next um, as you jump, slide, and sort of punch uh, cool brain enemies uh, to open doors and get to beautiful new places. Um, so the level I'm in at the moment is because each level is kind of someone's mental landscape it's made up of their obsessions and desires of sort of made tangible uh and uh the mind the person in at the moment she used to be a doctor um but in a, a, a cutscene accident <laughs> you accidentally connect the concept of money to the concept of risk in a, a platforming section <laughs> and uh, she becomes like a, a mad keen gambler who wants to solve her problems uh, at the roulette table. And so you have to venture into her mind to fix that. And when you go back into her brain, it is uh, a kind of extraordinarily weird mashup of medical equipment, hospital wards, morgue sections, <laughs> which are also uh, rendered in as glittering casinos. So there's a maternity ward where full of couples trying to win babies on a giant roulette wheel. <laughs> and it's super weird and looks amazing. And it's, uh, there's a couple there who just like, the gag is that they're extremely rich, but they kind of want to give meaning to their lives by winning a baby, um, uh, which is kind of like the uh, a kind of dark sense of humor that ran through the original Psychonauts and through Grim Fandango and other um, similar things. Uh, and that is also present here as well, which uh, is, to me, kind of pitch perfect i really enjoy it uh they're just kind of lots of little npc side characters who uh have these weird jokes that you kind of encounter and choose to run up to them and get as many dialogues out of uh, lines of dialogue out of them as possible before you go through the next jumpy bit the enemies are really fun uh a lot of them are sensors there to like stamp out bad thoughts or thoughts that don't belong of which you're one as a kind of brain invader person um, but there are also just kind of, I think one of the enemies is just a bad idea, which is a kind of really angry mongrel thing that electrocutes you from afar. Uh, and it, it, it's essentially, that's the joke. <laughs> that, that is, it's that, that one joke, what if uh, platforming was just brain stuff, uh, the realm of imagination made flesh kind of thing. And you get to, uh, go through these riotous kind of scenes of extraordinary color and activity, um, on a bid to try and sort of fix people and find a giant cartoon villain at the end uh what was weird about the first one is that it's kind of a, if when you, when you lay it out there it's quite a weird invasive thing to do to someone to go inside their brain and fix them <laughs> and uh there, there's definitely uh, a sense that they've tried to veer away from the premise a little bit because you're essentially doing some, a, quite an invasive procedure on a character <laughs> Uh, that it could be construed as being like, especially because it's against their will and they're often like strapped to something and you, while you're in, invading their brain. Uh, and so it's kind of, uh, I think it, it's run up against its own premise and sort of tries to steer around it as much as possible and make it so that you're trying to help this person who you've wronged at so far, like um, rather than going into a bad guy's brain and correcting their phobia of postmen or something there's a very fun level actually in the original game where it was that the, the mind of someone who's incredibly paranoid and uh the the level was a kind of twisted suburb where there are kind of people in long jackets on every corner muttering something about the postman the postman conspiracy um oh God, I that that brings back a memory like sort of yeah 
there's it's, it's the, the repeated muttered line it's like mm. have you heard about the postman do you know where the postman is that's have it yeah. the postman uh over and over again and there's lots of people in kind of uh you know um <laughs> mysterious vans with uh radars on top of them who are clearly just scoping out the nearby houses and it, again like, the kind of like a dark sense of humor to it uh but i think that it, this one seems a bit friendlier uh as you're kind of tracking down uh the trace of this monstrous escaped kind of I think former psychonaut who also has the power to break people's brains. Uh, in fact, the first level is uh, you're going into the mind of a kind of demented dentist and he starts like breaking out of the mental trap that the psychonauts have laid for him. Um, and then like all the doors start turning into teeth <laughs> and all the, the walls like start sprouting gums and stuff. <laughs> it's really disgusting, but amazingly rendered. Uh, and, and that lasts for you know, about 20 minutes and then it's on to the next thing and you, you're in someone else's brain. It's a completely different landscape. Um, and all the voice acting and all the kind of Act, uh, all the visual facial animation and all the cool characters including the incredible mean kids that you're uh you join up with uh, is always really really just very very entertaining all the time and i do like it i think they've done a very good job of it i like it a lot do they develop the characters much through the through a level like you know do they use the fact that you're in their minds and you're sort of interpreting their thought processes through the sort of the symbols that you see does it develop their characters through that so like your initial impressions kind of you get to learn a little bit more about them so far it's yeah it has delivered backstory in some quite inventive ways or kind of background to why uh, uh I, I won't say too much about like this particular character for in case it spoils the people playing it but there are some bits where you go into like 2d platforming sections that are made up of x-rays that are being moved by two giant figures in the background who are kind of taking x-rays off and placing them as they discuss her career and how it's been kind of twisted or destroyed by her mentor um and then that bit will end and you're in the next section and you'll find kind of uh i think they're called it's called like mental baggage like little kind of show reels that also have a few slides that tell their backstory as well um and yeah so far it's actually done a really nice job of adding in little stuff that you can find if you want to in the background that kind of explains who the character is and why they are like slightly messed up in some way perhaps how is the platforming it's it's a lot better uh still like it's not i don't think you play it for a great platforming experience to be honest <laughs> uh like it's it doesn't feel like super satisfying to complete the platforming it's just kind of uh, it's just a very low friction way of getting through the game uh while still pressing buttons every now and then and the the, the combat is the same uh where the enemies are particularly difficult but you've got you know a punch move a dodge move and a shoot move and uh a pyrokinesis move and certain enemies are vulnerable to each one so it's just a matter of flicking between flicking to the right right one doing the rock paper scissors thing and then kind of moving on to the next cutscene um i think that's right for it because i don't think you d you don't want a difficult game <laughs> attached to this sort of world anything that gets you gets in the way of the next conversation or the next kind of the next bit uh is is probably to the game's detriment mm. so it's, it's obviously you want that kind of low f friction roller coaster type experience with it um i haven't found the platform to be actively intrusively bad yet which means it's already a lot better than the first game in that respect <laughs> which is good yeah, I'm enjoying. It. Have you, do you guys play the original? Or have you played the sequel at all? I played the original probably near release, but I gave up on it pretty quick because of the platforming. Actually, mm. um, 
I sort of regretted it ever since because then it became this cult classic and no one shut up about it for like 15 yeah. years. And you sort of think, ah, probably could have suffered through that for 20, 20 hours or whatever. And then I would, would have been able to join in <laughs> with that conversation. Um, so I, I think I will play the sequel, um, without having played the first one. There's a lot of nice, uh, nods to kind of, Modern game design. Actually, there was, um, there was a, a hub area in the first game, uh, but the one in this game is the actual kind of Psychonauts headquarters. It's just really, really fun place to explore, especially because you've got on the left trigger, you've got like a, a floaty power where you summon a ball and ride around on it. It's basically your your dash ability, but that's actually just a really nice way to bounce around everywhere and sort of it's absolutely packed with collectibles. It's a bit like you know Lego, those Lego games where just every time you touch something, some some pink glowing stuff pops out of it and you can spend it later on uh, an upgrade or something like that uh and uh yeah it's uh, it's just like yeah it's full of fun rooms like even the post room is funny <laughs> uh in in that kind of facility um uh yeah yeah it's lovely i like it i think it's been really really well received but uh the impression i get is probably like is it would have been well received on its own terms even without the original being a, a like massive cult classic i think it's just like it is just a really f- nice place to be as a game it's just a really pleasant funny uh colorful experience and you don't need to know anything about the first game to enjoy it i would say so don't suffer through all the terrible platforming <laughs> enjoy the okay and forgettable platforming in a much nicer environment <laughs> the platforming doesn't get in the way that's all I can say. It might might get better, but I, I kind of hope it doesn't really mess with it too much because it's it's pretty much right for the game at the moment. But yeah, good Psychonauts too. Recommend it. What have you been playing, Alex? Like I said, not a huge amount, but I did manage to have a little look on the new Quake, or like the old Quake, the remake of Quake that was replaced Quake, which is was surprised announced and launched uh, at Bethesda's um, Bethesda Con. Is that what they have? Their is party. It, their it's, quite, it's quite con, isn't it? Still, it's, they oh, just, it's quite con. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> but it's become Bethesda's thing, isn't it? Like it it's, yeah, because Bethesda hmm. bought it, yeah. they've you know obviously turned QuakeCon into a kind of larger event where they show, <laughs> show more of their stuff. But it's still quite focused on... Yeah. They are first-person shooters. Like, I've not seen them do massive stuff on Skyrim there. It's yeah. usually, here's here's Wolfenstein, here's Quake, here's etc. That's because there hasn't been any uh, <laughs> uh, Elder Scrolls to see. But, um, yeah, so, so they, yeah, they, they surprised, um, announced, and then launched immediately um, a sort of a, a, a modern re-release of quake which updates its engine entirely um uh which does i think it walks a really good battle like the tightrope between um introducing nice new kind of graphical tech sort of effects and things like lighting and things while absolutely maintaining um the the classic quake look which i've rhapsodized about on the pod Many times before, but I love that brown. That's the best brown. The best brown in all <laughs> games, I think, can be found in, in Quake. Um, and um, I, the this kind of remaster is um, was developed by Night Dive Studios, um, who are also working on... Like, they've, they've become the consummate kind of uh, 
sort of uh, remastering studio for gamers of a certain age because <laughs> they're also working on System Shock. Um, and I think System Shock looks fucking awesome as well. Mm. Like, again, takes the its graphical style, very pixelated and kind of adds and you know, adds to it rather than changes stuff, I think. But anyway, um, Quake... Um, and you can also switch off, off a lot of the, the effects that they've added to it. So the, there's a lighting thing. So when a gun kind of emit, you know, you fires, you suddenly see a flash of shadow, um, explosions. You can see flashes of shadow, which gives spaces depth without taking away from their beautiful angular pixelated brown. And, and I really, I've, I've really appreciated it over the time I've been playing it, which hasn't been an awful lot, but, um, uh, and, it also adds a bunch of other things. So it's all of the scenario or like it's all of the, um, the episodes that released uh, with Quake originally um, with other bits and pieces, including uh, very importantly um, dimension of the past and dimension of the machine, uh, which were map packs released and or produced by machine games. Uh, also, hmm. I mean, in the Bethesda fold makers of the Wolfenstein theories, of course, uh, the, well, the recent ones anyway. Um, and, um, and I really enjoyed dimension of the past, which, um, like v- sort of very, uh, I was about to say by the numbers, which is entirely the wrong <laughs> like phrase for what I wanted to say. Like it's very, uh, tradition very, uh, pure, uh, but really smartly designed classic quake levels um they're not like arcane dimensions which are kind of vast and kind of explode out the what what quake can do you know natively because it requires kind of you know, sort of it's the, the more recent engines that quake runs in um uh, uh which i've talked about on the pod before um uh, but they're very traditionalist. But Dimension of the Machine does push out, and Dimension of the Machine really does kind of like you walk into like the very first corridor that you're standing in. You know they are showcasing the new shadowing technology because they've got a they got one of them fans going around with the light behind it, creating a nice <laughs> little flashy thing. And you got to have that to the show best off lighting. Your, your, your lighting engine. And by God, I love it too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know very complex uh uh geometrically complex level design for quake you know it's not it's not like a modern game but it's sort of for quake it's quite and the 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 levels are really expansive and they really go places like the first level that i went into so you work you you start in a hub and you can go off in lots of directions different units and you in each of the uh warp points from there i think is like two or three um levels and then you come back to the hub again. Um, the first one I went into, we were on the moon for a bit. And then we were in this sort of, I was on a spaceship in a kind of like where all the guns were firing out into space. And, and then we were kind of just platforming from into in the void. And then we we're on a planet thing. This is all in one level. And, you know, it's really good. And, you know, their level design is just consummate. Like it has this ability to loop around the the... I still find it exciting when you're in a level and you walk around and you find yourself looping back over the space you've already been, but now you're on a level, like a gantry walking above, or you've opened a door, which is accessed, you know, it's expanded the access that you were originally given that kind of looping uh, level design. It just happens. 
in this all the time and it feels good every time. Um, and just imaginative spaces, but very much Quake. Um, so that's been really fun to play. Um, and it's pretty big as well. Like I've probably played two, two or three hours and, and I'm probably maybe halfway through something like that. Um, but I am dying a lot and restarting a lot. It throws enemies at you very quickly, <laughs> very soon, a lot of them, and really mixes them around as well. It's, it's a challenge, but you can, you know, that's what quick save, quick load is for. Um, and the other thing that um, that they've introduced is um, Quake 64, which was um, a version of Quake for the Nintendo 64, which had to be cut down in various ways to kind of fit into cartridges and, and to run on that that that, that um, uh, uh, console and some people believe that it's the the cuts to the original levels actually benefit them they're a bit more succinct a bit tighter um i don't really know i i did zoom into it and have a blast around but i didn't really get a sense of just how kind of quake 64 improves on anything uh and that also comes with like a filter that makes it look like it's on a crt screen as well (laughs) it's just it's Every, like it's really beautifully put together um what i haven't done yet is investigate what precisely it does to uh your sort of source port stuff because i've got a bunch of things like arcane uh, dimensions which is a big mac pack which came with various kind of tweaks to the engine to allow a lot of the levels to exist and i've again i've talked about it in the pod before um i understand it doesn't run in the remix but i also understand that they've made provision for that in that you can still get these source ports to work. It hasn't monkeyed around with some of the original stuff that gets installed on your machine. I don't know. I don't know. Perhaps people know better than me, but um, I think oh. they did say as well that other kinds of mods and maps for the original game would still work. Yes, it's only the source port stuff that that won't. Yes, yes, yeah, that's what that's what I understand as well. So they've been very careful to make sure they've kind of yeah, yeah, maintained because the the Quake community is all about its modding community. And it always was and it still is. And that 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 community is just as strong as it as it ever has been really, certainly in a creative sense. If not, pro- its population might be lower, but it's certainly kind of just, you know, really pushing at stuff all the time, you know, year upon year. Uh, again, we've talked about this pod fairly recently, in fact. Um, but um, yeah, like this remaster had to satisfy the modding community and uh, to, to be accepted. And I understand it's gone down reasonably well. Um, it was it was interesting because in it sort of leaked before they officially announced it and there was just utter panic from the Quake <laughs> community. And then when it was announced and it was okay, <laughs> like it didn't destroy everything that they've worked <laughs> on for the last 20 years, they, they weren't like, hooray, Bethesda did a really nice thing for us. They were just like wiping the sweat from their brow. Yeah. Like, oh, oh, thank can, goodness. We can still we do su- our thing. We survived the earthquake and now we can, <laughs> pun intended. But what I've I've actually been playing it on PS4 um, and not on on PC because I haven't been able to use my PC since dog the dog arrived. Um, <laughs> Is the dog on it all the time? <laughs> he's just like won't come off and he's slobbered all over my mouth um, <laughs> and I won't touch it now. <laughs> but um, uh, I've been so it means I've been using mouse uh, like uh, not uh, a controller, which feels really wrong. 
and mm. it really I, doesn't feel right to me at all. There is a suddenly what I'm used to being totally snappy is just mushy. I've kind of gotten used to it enough, but I feel like I feel like I'm playing with my you know the two left hands. It's, it's an odd feeling. I didn't realize that Quake could ingrained itself so deeply in my synapses. But otherwise, like the the, the actual kind of the ports to to console are otherwise p- perfect. You know, like run at sixty frames and they look good, man. Oh, the loading times are bizarrely long, though. But they look good, man. Hmm. I love Quake. I love Quake. I love the first chapter of Quake. Anyway, yes, right. Yeah. Which I've which I've played. I don't know, fifty times or something like that. <laughs> it used to sprint through. Do you love Quake, Tom? Kind of have no feelings about Quake whatsoever. It's the sort of <laughs> it's it, to me. It's that old brown thing. Yeah. And the brown is very much what stands out to me about it. Uh, and the kind of um, oddly kind of slightly chunky, bulbous character models. Oh, that yeah. uh, but I, I might give it a try. Like, do you think, it had, is it a nostalgic exercise purely or, or is it is it still good? I think, I think its game feel is still wonderful. It has a hmm. sense of kinetic, uh, sense, a sense of momentum, which... Um, which games don't tend like this modern FPS don't don't tend to have, like you know you can, you barrel through this really quickly, um, mm. and just everything thumps really nicely as well. Like you know, it's, oddly the the shotgun feels like you, <laughs> there isn't a pistol in the in Quake. Uh, you start with the shotgun. <laughs> oh, that's cool. And but I. To, to be honest, I, it doesn't feel like a shotgun. The shotgun only feels like a shotgun once you get the double barrel shotgun. So, um, uh, but it, I don't know. It's it's a feeling. It's a feeling of momentum. The the run speed, um, the way that you're when you stop pressing W, it takes quite a while to kind of to, to slow to a full halt. It wants you running. It wants you dodging. Like most of the enemies. There are some hit scan memories uh, enemies, but most of them um, shoot projectiles that, that that move quickly, but not so quickly that you don't feel you can dodge, and you feel really good when you're dodging stuff. Like it, it definitely folds in quite a few sort of. You know, there's a knight in it which shoots um, a spread of bullets which travel reasonably slowly. And when you know that, you can dodge in, like, and in, in you invite them to do a melee attack on you because that will buy you time to, to dodge back out of view and get some more free hits on them. Um, but then, of course, you're it, it throws lots of different enemies at you. And and so um, it's a real dance. And when that goes in hand with really great level design, you know, the odd monster closet, the, the uh, like a beautiful loop in a in a, in a piece of level which sends you back to somewhere you thought you knew but now a trapdoor's opened and or maybe a, a, a spiked kind of ceiling starts coming down um you know that's what i love about quake and it's just fast and loose and it doesn't care about thematic anything <laughs> other than just <laughs> maintaining the brown i love it have you played any of the recent retro first person shooter revivals tom like a medieval or dusk or because dusk is I, the I, one i was thinking of yeah 
Dusk is super good. That's the, that's the one where you fight an alligator in like the third level or something. Isn't it? <laughs> it's Dusk Thornway is, is kind of uh, they're almost like B movie campaigns. Yeah, uh, or am I think of a different one? Is that right? I think I think that's Dusk. Yeah, I think. I you're really kind of like nasty sickle enemies, which kind of have sickle like throws will stab you as stickle, stickles and stuff. Yeah, and you're kind of like a floating gun. Basically, like, yeah. I think you even have hands in that game. The gun just sort of reloads itself. It's really, I, I really enjoyed that stuff, actually. So, so you like Quake, is, then? Because I don't I'll, think, I don't like think the Dusk feels quite as good as Quake. Because, like, um, the Medieval's a kind of Hexen as well, isn't it? It's kind of a modern Hexen, by the looks, yeah. if I remember rightly. Yeah. I see, basically, I, I, I like some of those revi- recent revivals and homages and stuff, but they are homages to Quake, and I don't think they replace Quake. Mm. I think Quake... Actually, still holds up. And if you if you liked Dusk, then as Alex says, you'll probably like Quake as well. I yeah. think you can play it, and it will feel like one of those games. I'm in. That sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's cool. um, there's kind of like an RTX Quake Two version as well, isn't there? They just sort of like a demo with like loads of all the fancy new. I think that was the, yeah, that was Quake Two. Yeah, it it yeah. ran like trash on my computer. <laughs> really, <laughs> it also just looks worse. <laughs> no, the RTX <laughs> version of Quake Two looks worse. Play the just play the original Quake Two. Quake right. Two is good as well. I think it's it's less loved than the original Quake, but I like Quake Two. I need to go back to Unreal as well. <laughs> good games we've dragged you into the past tom ah. yeah <laughs> hey i'll go back to the past so, no uh, nfts in the past so i'm very happy yes <laughs> <laughs> let's run there <laughs> graham what have you been playing i've been i've been staying in the past i'm gonna keep us there yeah um i've been playing 2007's supreme commander forged alliance Ooh. My goodness. Oh, where's Tom I'm, Francis? He needs to talk to you about this. Or I'm to hear about this one holds up after all this time. It's... I've been playing it with Tom. So oh, there you go. <laughs> you ask where he is, he might be playing Supreme Commander right now. <laughs> He's been playing a lot of Supreme Commander Forge the Lines. It was him that got me back into it because nice. he and I used to play it back in the day together. So this was, um, so yeah, from my perspective, uh, for a long period at uh, Future, uh, I would wander past from from Edge's kind of dark <laughs> corner. I would run, wander back th- into the light, which where bizar- bizarrely, like PC Gamer did operate in the light towards the the where the where the nasty drinks machine was, and almost always, yeah, you and Tom were playing um, Supreme Commander. Yeah, there was a good couple of years there where we would play a game of Supreme Commander Forge Lines during a lunch break. Um, but of course, you can't finish a game of Forged <laughs> no. Alliance in an hour. Uh, and so then we would stay after we would just pause the game and minimize it on our computers while we worked for the rest of the afternoon, start again at five, leave the office sometime around 8 p.m. <laughs> I think <laughs> finally, finally finished. Um, and yeah, it absolutely still holds up. Like I was thinking about what other game would I like to get another expansion? in the way that Quake has. Um, and Supreme Commander is probably the answer. Like, I don't necessarily need a sequel. I like Supreme Commander 2. I just want more of Supreme Commander 1. And that's what Forged Alliance was in a lot of ways. It's, an, it's a standalone expansion for the original, the base game, which adds a new faction. But most of the praise I'm going to heap on it over the next five minutes or so also applies to the base game. And there's just, there's no other strategy game like it. And the more I think about it, the more I feel like the world was not ready for Supreme Commander in 2007, and maybe <laughs> it is now. 
because playing it feels a lot like playing something like Factorio or like a you know an efficiency simulator or like one of these factory games because that's what Supreme Commander is about as a strategy game it's it's about it's about two halves really the first is you've got this massive battlefield kilometers across you know 64 kilometers by 64 kilometers it feels utterly enormous and dwarfs anything in any other real-time strategy game Every faction is just robots, different kinds of robots, robot tanks. There's no like actual humans inside them or humans on the battlefield anywhere. And um, your economy isn't based on, you don't like gather up Tiberium and then spend the Tiberium you've got in the bank. It's all to, de- to do with the rate of, of gathering. Hmm. So, you know, you'll be bringing in 50 mass per second and, uh, a thousand energy per second and as long as whatever you're trying to build doesn't take more than that per second to construct then it doesn't matter how much it's going to how much it needs overall to get to the end of its progress bar to create it Mm. you can start creating it now Mm. and so you're kind of like mentally graphing (laughs) all the time of like okay i'm gonna build my four mass extractors that's going to give me this much input per second of mass and that means i can now start building that factory tell two engineers to help build the factory to like double its speed of consumption of resources uh build some mass storage around those mass extractors build another factory upgrade that mass extractor start some tank oh no my whole economy has crashed and i'm now in like negative equity where i'm spending more in mass and power per second than i'm bringing in and at that point all building shuts down (laughs) and and like your shields go offline because you don't have enough power to to fuel them and that sort of stuff so you're kind of like constantly trying to play this economic curve of at what point is are your various buildings which are uh, pulling in power and pulling in energy going to level up um, because you're going to upgrade them explicitly they're going to reach a new point and that's going to give you a big boost to your economy so that you know just as you start building this thing your economy doesn't collapse as a result of it you know you're kind of constantly paying off these things that's really compelling and that's really interesting Hmm. um it's like enormous unit limits so like each you know you can have four people playing and each one of those four people can have a thousand units on the Mm. battlefield at the same time um and then with these because there's such enormous distances you don't necessarily want to build a tank and then send it going from one end of the map to the other because it's going to take like eight minutes for it to drive over there. So you're going to want to like work out, well, how am I going to transport it? So instead of just building land units and tanks, you're going to build an air factory and you're going to build some air transports and you're going to set up a ferry route. And so you're going to tell your your air factory to start producing transports and those transports to automatically pick up any unit that you send to a particular area and ferry it to another point in the map and then you're going to tell your land factory send all of your units as you construct them direct to this ferry pickup point and so you just have this now automated conveyor belt of like a little factory that's just pumping out murder bots that immediately get picked up by an air transport flowing across the map um, everything is physically simulated as well. So, like, if you have a flying unit, uh, it it is simulating 
its turning circle and momentum and how fast it's traveling and that sort of stuff. And if it happens to get into the path of a missile, as a missile is traveling across the sky, then that missile will collide with it. Like mm. that's not a predecided calculation that happened at the point at which the missile was fired, that it's going to go hit its target and it will pass through anything in between. And that includes friendly fire. <laughs> and so <laughs> you can, you can blow up your own things. And like, uh, your, your planes have, fuel consumption so if they're traveling really long distances or you're sending them out a lot then they're going to start running out of fuel and they will just crash into the sea or whatever unless you build like air staging facilities so now you're thinking about okay this is a big map i want to send my 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 planes from this side to the to the other side i can do that but maybe they can't get back again before <laughs> running out of fuel so i need to go colonize this area in the middle of the map and build an air staging facility so that they've got a place to land and refuel on the way back safely um and then every faction has tons of units and the units are split into tech one tech two tech three and then experimental units um, and so you progress through these different tech levels as the game goes on. You start off obviously with tech one units and they're, they're tiny. They don't necessarily feel tiny at the time. Like you build them and you think, well, that's a tank. That's how big a tank is. And then you get the tech two units, which are like four times as large. And then you get the tech three units, which are like 20 times larger than that. <laughs> uh, and so you end up with this battlefield of units of vastly different sizes. But you never have this experience where tech one units are now useless. Like tech one units can still be extremely useful if you've got them in large enough quantity and because they're so cheap to produce, it's a perfectly valid strategy to go, you know what, I'm not going to build a tech, a, a tech three unit. I'm going to build a hundred tech one units and just have a bunch of factories that are just pumping that out in such quantities that it's still worthwhile. And then you've got the experimental units, which yeah. are like every faction has three to five of these and they are enormous and they cost a fortune like they are like a hundred times more expensive than anything else you can build and a hundred times more powerful they're like game changing um either units or buildings that you can construct and so that will be you know a type of artillery you can build that's maybe going to take you 20 minutes to build and it's going to crash your entire economy if you've not prepared for it up until that point but once you've built it that single artillery is going to sit in your base it's going to be able to hit anything on the map and it's just going to pelt the enemy base into oblivion basically um and so that became then becomes this kind of really interesting meta game where you're starting out in your head with this goal of i want to get my economy to this point where i can construct this experimental that's going to be my end game for the strategy game you know the skirmish i'm playing uh and of course if the enemy if you spot in their base that they started building an experimental then you're like oh shit i've got to i've got to make sure that ufo doesn't take off because if that ufo takes off it's going to obliterate everything i've got uh, and so now you're attacking the enemy base to try and like disrupt their plans and that sort of stuff at the same time. And like all these different things are happening at the same time. You're thinking about the economy. You're thinking about your, your routes across the map. You're thinking about these hundreds of units. You're fighting battles on air, land and sea simultaneously. You're thinking about your overall plans towards getting these experimental units 
And at the same time, it still looks incredible. Like hmm. it's for, like Supreme Commander was one of those games that came out. I think the original came out in like 2006 and did not run on my PC at the hmm. time. It was like, can your computer run Crisis? No. Can it run Supreme Commander? No. <laughs> um, and Forged Alliance was just the same when it came out the next year. And it runs beautifully now, 14 years later, really smooth, all the graphic settings on high, um, but it still looks incredible. And the spectacle that you get, like everything I've described is quite nerdy. I'm talking about economics <laughs> and uh, you can maybe get a sense of this game being really complicated, but there is just a, a fundamental primal pleasure in watching lots and lots of little robots fire lasers and missiles, and missiles at lots of other little mm-hmm. robots mm-hmm. Uh, and all operating at different scales. And you're sending out mobile shield units alongside your tanks Um and you know it's all and you've got this enormous zoom like that was the one of the major selling points of it was this i can't remember what they called it and they had a they had a word in front of zoom um but basically there's you you don't really play this game with a mini map although the the level is that huge you just zoom out to the point where the the world becomes the mini map and it fills your screen and so you're constantly just flicking the mouse wheel to go back and forth between an icon view of the world and zooming all the way into a single tiny little unit trundling across a hill in the middle of one of six battlefields that you're you're currently dealing with at the same time and so all of that is why it's wonderful and then it's also a brilliant co-op game because you can you know there's a campaign in Forged Alliance, actually, I've never played the campaign. I've played the campaign in the original base game and I never bothered with Forged Alliance because the campaign is not good <laughs> and it's not a good story. And I don't care about any of that stuff. But it's a really great skirmish game and you can load it up and obviously go on the same team in a skirmish with another player and then play against the AI. And there's a mod called the Saurian AI mod. And the guy who made it was actually hired by the developers gas powered games and did the AI for Supreme Commander 2. But it's basically um, a really clever AI for the game. And you it gives you a bunch of options for uh, how much it should cheat and in what ways it should cheat and that sort of stuff. Uh, and it's, it's a really interesting challenge to just say what Tom and I have been doing when we've been playing it is he and I are on one team and on the other team, there's a single Saurian turtling AI. Mm. And then it's just like, you're we're constantly tweaking it, trying to find a balance between too easy and too hard. and trying to get that sweet spot where it's, where the AI is creating, Tom described it as a, a hard nut to crack. Like you, you don't want it to just steamroll you. You don't want it to be too easy. You want its base though to be this mixture of shields and anti-missiles and its own air defense and that sort of stuff. And then you're trying to work out, well, how do we unpick these defenses? How do we build what we need to build in order to defeat them before they get enough resources that they can come and defeat us? And what areas of the map do we need to control and that sort of stuff? And so we, we, we've played it for a couple of evenings now. And I, I know and both of us have played it a little bit on our own. I've played it a little bit on my own. I think Tom's played it a lot on his own in between. And it's just, yeah, it's every bit as good as it was when we were playing it 
12 years ago in the PC Gamer office, and there's still no other game like it, and I badly wish there was. I just wish there was another standalone expansion for Supreme Commander 1. And yeah, in an age when people have played these games, like Factorio, for example, um, I, I think people would grok it, like it wouldn't feel as out of left field as it did when it was mm. sat alongside Age of Empires 2 and Starcraft and Command & Conquer. Was the baton kind of picked up by, was it Planetary Annihilation that tried to do it on a kind of on a globe? It never quite worked for me, but it's similar kind of principles, I remember. Yeah, so it was, I mean, I, I guess it was more of a spiritual successor to Total Annihilation, which was kind of the predecessor oh, to Supreme yeah. Commander, also by Gas Powered Games, or, or actually not by Gas Powered, but by um, Chris Watts' shop, the same designer before he founded Gas Powered. And so, yeah, like similar principles, but no, it never really worked in part because it took place on a globe, Mm. which seemed like a really cool idea to be able to like build rockets on the side of a planet and actually launch one planet at another planet across the solar system and a whole new, you know, order of magnitude of scale. But actually it's just an enormous pain in the ass to not be able to see (laughs) on one side of the planet that you're on while you're on the other side of the planet. Like, um, not being able to get an overview ever of the battle was just really annoying. It also just didn't have as interesting unit design or, or mm. uh, and like it's kind of um, how you progress those units. It felt perhaps, I don't know if like that might be budget constraints because it was like a Kickstarter project that didn't get an enormous amount of money or it might be that they had to make a bunch of tech compromises because they had this thing where it was taking place across the solar system and you could launch planets at one another um but either way no it didn't really carry forward supreme commander 2 did to some respects like supreme command like supreme commander wasn't that successful commercially and so supreme commander 2 set the goal of let's get this game running on consoles and pcs which mortals actually own and so the maps, like the biggest map in Supreme Commander 2 is like a quarter of the size of the of a small map in Supreme <laughs> Forged Alliance, to be honest. Um, they shrunk everything down. They got rid of the economy where it was based on your rate of income per second. They added a tech tree where you, you're, you know, you're explicitly unlocking upgrades in the tech tree as you go along. Um and I think it's still a really good strategy game, but it did lose some of the higher level strategy, some of the stuff that made it made the original so interesting, some of the stuff that made it so lovely to look at as a spectacle. Um, Supreme Commander 2, I feel like, was a good gateway because it was the game I played first, hmm. but it still doesn't feel like it does everything great that Forged Alliance does. Uh, I, miss, I miss Supreme Commander. I had an amazing time with it. I loved its super nerdy adjacency, adjacency bonuses and stuff like that when you're base building. Yeah. Really, really satisfying. And you build a kind of glowing palace and all it all it exists to do is just fuel your economy. <laughs> also, just going into debt for a super unit, it seems, it's such a kind of nerdy way to run an economy in a <laughs> war game. <laughs> but it's, it, is, it is compelling. Uh, and, as you, and you're right, the spectacle's still just incredible on that game. Uh, really, really fun maps as well like there's nothing like 
particularly crazy inventive but there's one that's just like entirely ocean in the middle a big round ocean in the middle um but because there are so many naval units and one of the factions has amphibious units that where the the boats can grow legs and walk out of the water <laughs> yeah it's actually really really interesting and fun to to play with it um and there's a classic uh one where there's just two big land masses and one land bridge where everything dies and that's that. seton's clutch that's yeah that one. became the kind of iconic <laughs> map for the for the game i think yeah one one uh with in four players two on either side of the uh the land bridge and absolute carnage brilliant brilliant game does it um I, i'm going to uh is, is there any tricks to getting it to run on on modern hardware or is it just run no. just fine it runs just fine, to be honest. Like, yeah. you want to get the Saurian AI mod, but you just, you can download that easy, and it's just some files you copy into a folder in your install directory. Um, otherwise, no, just double-click it on Steam, and it'll download, and it'll run fine on your computer. There is uh, Forged Alliance Forever, which is a kind of a mod... It might it might run as a standalone executable. I'm not sure, but it will require the original game in mm. any case. And like the there's still a community that play Forge Alliance competitively, and so if you want to do like ranked multiplayer and all that sort of stuff, you can do that. And Forge Alliance Forever is the way to do it. Graham, but Graham. if you're just getting in, you, then yeah, you, you, don't you need just to described do that. <laughs> a game where in order to play it, you have to think about every tiniest thing and um i'm very old graham very old <laughs> well, that's that's a, that's the weird thing it's like it's got more macro than any game you've ever played mm. in terms of root time strategy anyway but doesn't actually have that much micro like it's way mm. lighter on micro than starcraft is where everything in starcraft is about click click clicking constantly to redirect your units minuscule degrees in order to dodge incoming attacks at the point like you're not going to do that in supreme commander you just can't because you'll be fighting on six different fronts at the same time instead in supreme commander it's just macro it's about setting up the system and the processes like the machinery of war so that your units can go out and stomp the enemy mm. but once you like left click command right click conquer they kind of do their own thing and you can more or less leave them successfully if you you know have set up all your everything up until that point correctly okay so i've got nukes that's fun and uh one very very expensive satellite that could sap stuff once you eventually build it and it does yeah. all, it looks it's awesome it kind of does awesome almost nothing but <laughs> uh, they can't get you in <laughs> space yeah that's the that's the uef novak satellite which is yeah, as you say, like you can't attack it, and so like the first time I saw that, I was just like, "What the fuck is this <laughs> thing? Is above it? my base? I can't. There's a unit over the top of me that I can't click on to attack. What the hell?" And it's because there's a, it's got a building, so you got to go destroy mm. the building in the enemy base in order to like cause their satellite to fall out of the sky. But then, like if you do that, the satellite's probably above your base, yeah. so the satellite is going to land on your base. <laughs> And it's like not just got nukes. You, like it's I, I haven't I didn't really talk about it, but the game is based around your commander, which is like a single hero in, unit essentially that you begin with. Um, which if he gets destroyed in the standard game mode, that's game over. We kind of turn that off because I don't think that's very interesting. I want like at, at a certain point, about twenty minutes into a match, your commander's kind of irrelevant, and you've got tech three engineers and all this sort of stuff that that can do stuff that. Mm. 
faster and better than he can anyway. But if your commander gets destroyed, he goes nuclear. (laughs) And and so, you know, it's a valid strategy to just walk your commander into the enemy base and let them blow him up and blow up half their base in the process, just like a kamikaze run. I'd often just forget where he was. And then a massive nuke would go off somewhere on the map. I'd be like, oh, they got him. (laughs) Left him in the corner over there. Whoops. (laughs) Yeah. But then at the same at the same time I say that like the commander can become irrelevant. You can also upgrade the commander. So mm. the commander can be- still be like the most important unit. Like this is this is what I'm saying where every unit is never redundant. There's always a thing that you can do with any unit at any tech level that makes it like super interesting and super valuable. And so like the amount of interesting choices and interesting available paths through a single match that are available to you are interesting enough that you can return to it 14 years later and still be discovering things. That's awesome. So good. I'm going to get it for my boy because I think that it would be right up his street. Mm. Yeah, I bet it would be. Good robots. Shall we do questions from questions? Let's do it. Let's do that. Um, We've got a... uh, We've got a, a question here from, uh, I'm going to say this wrong, Gediminus. Gediminus. Alex, no one will know if it's wrong. You could have just started that one right out. Gediminus would know, and I'm continually <laughs> saying the, the wrong. It's not, it shouldn't be that complicated. It's not that many letters and it's not, uh, yeah, but I'm just hard. struggling. I'm just struggling. Uh they, uh, they they write to us. Dear Console and Tildkey, I recently learned that the levels in the original Doom and Doom 2 were all playtested from pistol start and not with the equipment that player brings from the previous level. I found that playing the games this way greatly improves the experience. The initial resource scarcity enforced me to engage deeper with the game mechanics as well as with the levels themselves. The lack of tools forced me into interesting exposed situations and made me pay more attention as I was scrounging for every last pickup. Previously banal maps suddenly had satisfying arcs of power progression. The problem is the games themselves never tell you this and you have to clear your inventory manually by using the level selection cheat code. Or of course you can die and then restart at the start of the level just with your pistol. Um, but yes, point taken. Uh, can you, by which Gediminus means us, think of any other instances where voluntary playstyle restrictions or small design tweaks will improve games? I think that Ubisoft's uh, sandboxes would feel less tedious if they didn't keep track of any completion percentages. Thank you for our excellent pod. Get I've just thought of one that I want to impose on myself, uh, which would be to, in first-person shooters, or actually any game with with weapons, which is all of them, um, to use the most powerful weapon available to me until all its ammo is expended, and then go, like, use the less powerful, just at all times be using the most powerful lesson, weapon, because <laughs> the one thing I do is hoard ammo all the time in yeah, every game I play. Yeah. For, and I never that means I never get to play with the coolest toys. And so if I've got a nuke, I need to use the nuke. If, even if it's just a goblin around the corner or something, that that's thing is getting nuked, whatever it is. I, I go through the just maximum armory all the time. You So let's call this the you gotta use it Gotta use rule. It. That's right. And what is it. it? So like, what's the explicit rule? Is it that um, as soon as you pick up that weapon, you switch to it 
and you only stopped using it when when the ammo runs out. That's right. That's exactly the rule. I like like this rule. Yeah, yeah. I'm (laughs) going to do it for the next FPS I play, which is going to be Quake, it turns out. So cool. It's true because that is going to work because usually, yeah, I also hoard and I don't use all this high-grade weaponry on the the, the bosses that it's ostensibly intended for. So if I get by with just using my pop gun, then it's all good. Yeah, not anymore. Not with my rule. The Tom rule of maximum explosions. It's interesting that we're all hoarders. None of us want to use the the nice toy that we get given. It's, I think I don't think don't feel like this says good things about us as people. <laughs> but it's so. I mean, it's just it's just. I I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna lean on uh, evolutionary. Um, what is it? Evolutionary behavior. Bi- biology. Is, biology. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know where. You know, of course we hoard because you never know when you might need it, even when you do need it and you're but refusing to accept it. If I'm at the end of my really cool sci-fi Mass Effect adventure and I've got a shoulder-mounted launcher that fires nuclear blasts and I'm not using it on the giant robot skull, of which that, that there, there can, I know there can be no bigger robot skull in the game. Like, this is the one. And I still feel like... <laughs> keep this one in my pocket <laughs> here's, here's my counter argument uh, mm. isn't wasn't the, the the joy of that that um weapon not actually in the firing of it but actually in the procuring of it like that was the that was the moment the the weapon was great it's actually sort of the weapons you use all the time that they're probably they probably are the most fun to use anyway they probably mm. and you're used to using them like certainly in doom going back to the, the example in the question um the shotgun is like that is the basic weapon and it's fun to use you know it, it sort of its fire rate and the level of damage it does and the fact that you've got to be close to do maximum damage and all these other things about it make it a fun weapon um the bfg is kind of fun. There are some weird little things about it that make it kind of relatively interesting to use. The fact that kind of you can fire it and then run away and things to be out of. Oh, that's why you can start firing it. And I can't remember which way around it is now. Is it that <laughs> things it have to be in view when it fires or, or when is it when you press the button? It's some, some sort of slightly, you can run away and it fires and kills stuff. Even if you all can't see, can't see them anymore when you fire it. Something like that. Anyway, the BFG is not a very interesting weapon, but the shotgun is. And therefore, the BFG was at its most fun when you found it and not when you fired it. Mm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty fun when you fired it. <laughs> you see, it's like uh, I've, I was playing Pokemon Go today with my son, who is five, and... I don't know if either of you have played Pokemon Go, but you have different types of Pokeballs. You've got the regular ones, and then you get great Pokeballs and ultra Pokeballs. Are there any? Yeah, they're all right, Pokeballs. (laughs) I I guess those are the regular ones. Um, (laughs) And so, like, you know, Ira had 30 of the regulars and four of the greats and four of the ultras, and he's five years old, and immediately he's like... We're going ultra, you, Dad. <laughs> no, the opposite. He's oh, the opposite. Right, right, right. He only uses the regulars. And then when he when he, he he panded me back the phone or whatever, so I could catch one of the, try catching one of the Pokemon. He was like, "You're not allowed to use the ultras." 
You can only use the great ones if you ask. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I don't think my kids should have done that. My daughter in particular. She would have absolutely just I spent them all on something that totally didn't need it. That's what a, what a lad. What a lad he is. <laughs> I've already instilled in him 36 years worth of, of anxiety. And <laughs> You see these trousers, boy? I've had these trousers for 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> these plus one trousers of cooling. <laughs> well, I think we failed to answer that, but we failed to answer it, to answer it well. Um, we've got a, a, a question here that isn't really a question, um, but kind of does have a question in it from Nicholas Kitchenman. Dear, dear Dominic Cummings, uh, last episode, I thought Tom S said cyber Catholic instead of cyber cafe. Who is the cyber Pope? Regards Nick from Melbourne, Australia. Who is the cyber Pope? Well, Games Master's coming back soon. And, uh, <laughs> The game's master was it used to be? Was it Patrick Moore? Is that his name? It yeah. was the late. Yeah. That's as close as we've ever gotten to the cyber pope, I would argue, <laughs> in real life. So you weren't talking about him then? I'm not I sad. wasn't. No. <laughs> Sadly. Can talk about him more if you like on the next podcast. Uh, final question this evening is from uh, uh, Goz, uh, who writes. Dear Grated Gouda, would you say Gouda or Gouda? As in cheese. I don't know. Mm. Either one. Both. I was very amused to hear you describe Project Women as Tom Clancy's Ace Combat and yet not mention Tom Clancy's Hawks or Tom Clancy's HAWX 2009 game, which is largely exactly what you'd expect from a, name, a game with that name. Indeed, a drop in the stock price of a, of a private military corporation is of major plot point and nearly triggers nuclear Armageddon. You, luckily, you're such a good pilot that you fly the problem away in your fancy plane. <laughs> there are no problems that can't be resolved by a liberal application of your bottomless supply of missiles. It's full of terrible acronyms and ends with you flying an F-22 down a wiggly canyon while someone over the radio exp exposits at you about how actually you have saved the United States and therefore the world. The exposition ends just in time for you to pull out of the canyon and murder a CEO is by blowing <laughs> up his holiday, <laughs> secret holiday home while the voice in your ear tells you what a good thing you've done, while at the same time that it is top secret and no one can ever know what happened or who did it. Man, this game sounds awesome. <laughs> it sounds great. <laughs> Not enough um, wiggly tunnels in Tom Clancy's door. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that, um, that, that Marsh uh, has played this game and um, grumbled about it delightedly. Hmm. Um, I'm pretty sure, I think he may have reviewed it for Edge back in 2009. Anyway, to uh, keep up with tense, this is a question. I will report reward one point to anyone who can guess what Hawk stands for without looking it up. I'm going to, oh, no, I'll look up what it means in a minute. But what do we, what, what, what do we, what are we going to go for here? Graham, H-A-W-X. Heavy air wax xylophone. It's a strong, strong, strong entry. Tom, can you go one better? <laughs> um, <laughs> hard and <laughs> wobbly 
xylophone <laughs> i don't know it's it's got to be some sort of, what's the x going to be for yeah. it's going to be extreme isn't it or something like it's something militaristic yeah that's i think heavy heavy artillery heavy, heavy good aircraft aircraft wings <laughs> extreme extreme <laughs> xylophone i've looked i looked it up <laughs> okay okay i haven't looked it up yet go 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 go, go. high altitude oh Warfare, uh. experimental squadron. That's two words. Horses. Feel cheated. Yeah, and neither of them begins with X. <laughs> <laughs> and also, if you end up in a canyon, that defeats the high altitude bit. Well, <laughs> that's why it's experimental. <laughs> it didn't work. <laughs> Turning this aircraft thing on its head. Oh, a load of rubbish. Come on, yeah. Casey. <laughs> yeah. Work a bit harder. Jesus. He must have signed off on it. I can't think, I can't imagine he came up with it himself. I can't, I don't, I can't imagine he signed off on anything. <laughs> looking at the, the things his name has been attached to. <laughs> Do you think he'd be surprised if you turned up at his house with a, a list of all the things that his house, his name is now attached to across all media? Do you think he'd go, what have I done? No, I think he'd go, oh, that tracks. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't get paid for that. <laughs> How does he keep track? Well, he's, he's, well, dead, he's, now, he's dead now. So. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, God signed off, by the way. Um, P.S. Please, someone, uh, please, someone, please remind Tom F. that DefenestrationTrilogy.com is available for registration. I suspect at this point he may feel too limited by only being able to do a trilogy. Um, yes, he was looking at some URLs for defenestration. Uh, he's too much of a coward, though, apparently. He <laughs> Why? <laughs> well, because he never signed one, did he? Or did he? Actually, Maybe. Was... Oh. We don't know. We'll put it in the show notes if he did come up with a defenestration URL. Well, that was a... Pleasantly shambolic end to a lovely episode. That's how we do. That's how we do do it. <laughs> um, uh, you can hang out with us and our community on our Discord channel. Uh, you can find the link for our Discord channel at our uh, website, which is at crateandcrowbar.com. Um, if you have a question for a future episode, send it to us at Questions at Questions at CreightonCrowbar.com. You can tweet at us at Creighton Crowbar. You can listen to the show uh, on YouTube, which we also put it up on. Uh, and you'll also find there um, uh, our various spin-off projects, um, including Miniatures Monthly and other bits and pieces. Uh, the Creighton Crowbar is kindly funded by our Patreon backers. If you'd like to know more about supporting our podcast and its spin-offs, please visit patreon.com slash Creighton Crowbar. That's it. Uh, mm. It remains for me to say, I've been Alex Wiltshire. I've been Tom Senior. And I've been Graham Smith. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening, listening everybody. everybody.